Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. And I'm Lauren Good, senior editor of technology at The Verge. And this is Too Embarrassed to Ask, a podcast that's all about making technology easier to understand and use. Have questions that you've been dying to ask? We'll give you the answers, plus our views on all of the latest gadgets. Submit your questions in advance by tweeting them at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. That's A-S-K-R-E-C-O-D-E for those of you in need of spelling aid. Thanks, Kara. Anytime. Our guest today needs no introduction in the technology world. Steven Sanofsky joined Microsoft in 1989, was the senior vice president of Office for several years, and ran Windows from July 2006 until November 2012. He is currently a board partner at Andreessen Horowitz, and he's joining us today and too embarrassed to ask. Steven, thanks so much for being here. Well, it's great to be here. So, Steven, you were recently at CES. In fact, you wrote a great, albeit lengthy, but great blog post on your blog. You're already starting. By the way, we I, love Stephen Sanofsky at Recode. He writes lengthy pieces for us that smart people read. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, and you've joined us at Code Conference yes. before. Right, and I thought it was exactly the right length, neither too short nor too long. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kara is one of the best editors out there, yeah. so if she says it's okay, then, <laughs> yes, then yes. it's okay. Yeah. Uh, but this was on your blog, uh, Learning by Shipping, which is an excellent blog. We recommend that everybody read it. I'm also using Medium now. And you are using Medium, which we're going to talk about. Um, but one of the things that you said there that I found interesting was that you proclaimed CES a software show. And you had some pretty good reasons for that. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, you know, historically, CES has been like it's just literally about the gadgets. And it was always about how big is this one, how thin is this one, how huge is the TV, how thin is a laptop or something like that. And one of the things that's just super obvious when you walk around is that it's become very hard to differentiate the piece of gadget from the booth next to you or across the hall piece of gadget because you're all sourcing it from the same manufacturers and the same yeah. regions of China. So you have to differentiate your, your product, and the way that products are getting differentiated is by the software. And that's both like because that's all that's, that's around, and also it's the most sustainable way to differentiate yourself because it, it's the hardest to make, it's the hardest to copy, and you're making it entirely yourself. So you're in control of it end to end for that experience as a product maker. So this is part of that software eating the world, Mark Andreessen thing, which apparently they have to tattoo on you when you become a partner there. Um, it is, but, and this is radio, so you can't actually see it. But, well, um, it's lovely, yeah. everybody. I can see it right here. Uh, just tell you. It's right next to his code <laughs> tattoo. I am wearing No, the, but it, it's the concept that Mark had, has. Well, it's, it, I mean, it is. And of course, in all fairness to everybody, it was the concept I grew up with in, yeah. in our industry. I mean, I mean, right. if you go way, way back to the founding of Microsoft, Bill's right. founding thesis was that the valuable business part of the equation was going to be software. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it, it's just – it's astounding to me as just, you know, older guy, like how mm -hmm. much software has become part of everything. I, I, it blows me away. Is that the away. comma past your name now? Steve Sinofsky, comma, older guy? I'm um, just curious. Well, it doesn't really apply entirely Mine in this room Kara right Swisher, now. Mine is comma, grumpy old age. Very funny. Oh, you got an age dig in there. Wow. What okay. do you think the best examples yeah. that were? Like, you mentioned drones. You mentioned wearables. Um, your blog post, you talked about the Fitbit Blaze, right? There, I mean, there were lots of examples in your blog, but what do you think was the best example of, this is a hardware company that seems to be doing software right in a way that, I guess, differentiates? Yeah, well, certainly differentiated. I, let me pick up on drones, and then let me talk about where there's a lot of software where it maybe doesn't make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. right. So I, I think drones are a great example because there were an unbelievable number of drone companies. And yeah. it, it turns out that, like, 
getting something up in the air and flying, believe it or not, is kind of a commodity. Right. Like, you know, it's not that big a deal. And you, so you source it, you get the, the stuff. But the, the problem is, is that keeping it in the air and not hitting things right. and taking Crashing a picture a tree. or taking a picture. Not and, that I've done and that. And right now, all the ones on the show floor, they're not really like the official definition of drone is autonomous. Right. These are really radio controlled. Like there's a person sitting. Well, they're hard to use. You can't. I've crashed. UI is very difficult. Like I, you know, I I mean, like I got a chance to fly one. You know, here I am crashing some $1,200 thing. And that's like pretty uncool. Mm -hmm. And and so the way that drones are really going to break out is when you can use them for like a given purpose, like security or crowd observation or farms or whatever. When you're not a pilot, like if you're a farmer. How are you going to scan your fields? Like right. you're not a drone pilot. And it turns out using these RC things, you have to be like a pilot mm-hmm. pilot. Like yeah, you really have to understand. Right. Um, another so one software I, would differentiate. Another one I thought was just – this was my favorite product for the first night of the show, which was um, – it was called nlapse.io, and it was a time-lapse camera. And so anybody who's ever tried to do like time-lapse photography, it's extremely difficult. Like you, you have you, – because you set up the camera, and it has to just sit there. But you, if you ever wanted to do it of like a sunset from a mountain or of a construction site or often like it, mm-hmm. at places – at shows like Recode where you want the set being built and sure. the crowds come. Yep. Like you don't have – you don't know how to power it. Nope. You don't know how to deal with it unattended. You might want like the pictures in the middle and then you have to go up on a ladder. Mm-hmm. and grab. This thing, you put it up there and then it – and it's just commodity. It's a commodity radio, a commodity solar panel, a commodity chassis, a commodity 4K cameras. Is it entirely solar powered? It could be. You could also plug it in, okay. but it also works off solar. So you could like literally go on a hike, leave it up there forever. Mm-hmm. Like it's just forever. And you can remote control it to take and still you, images. You, and then you, you, look, you get an app and every day you get the time lapse and you can and it's easy to adjust use. it. And, and it's all software because it's, it's all just. So something more difficult than that, autonomous vehicles. Um, well, the autonomous vehicles are interesting because, you know, there's there's a lot of innovation happening. Uh, like one of the big news items that week was um, much cheaper silicon-based uh, LiDAR and the ability to... Yes, to, Ford, right? Uh, Ford well, it's, it's, it it's not made by Ford, but it's but a it, supplier it that's sort of right. working to get it through the channel, and, and hopefully they'll want to sell it to everybody. And But even behind the scenes, that's software too. Like even to make that particular feature... Well, when you, when you think that way, you'd imagine that cars in the future will be easier to be made by the Apples and Googles of the world. Someone told me something they'd heard from one of the ride-sharing companies that they said, oh, it's easy to build a car. And I thought, no, it's not so easy to build a car. Oh, but no. they were sort of like, eh, it's the software that's going to matter. It's the reservation system that's going to matter. It's the interface that's going to matter. And it was kind of, I thought it was arrogant at first. And then I thought their premise was that, you know, China chunks out these cars like no big deal. Well, so it's easy to make. Place, right? There are manufacturing yeah. lines Right, but easy place, to but, make compared you know, to the software that's going to be required for autonomous I, I, cars. I mean, having gone through the life cycle from nothing to building surface it's not easy yeah like mm-hmm. like anybody who says like making something that you can hold is easy that's a mistake yeah it's not with capital you can fly on a plane to china and talk to the people who make things and have something made but if they haven't made it before it's like super hard for them so mm-hmm. if there's not someone already making cars like the work that tesla's done is just mind-bogglingly phenomenal mm-hmm. on like making a car right because like Big chunks of but, metal remain big chunks of metal. Right, but presumably what you're saying is the software is going to be the thing that differentiates. But, but ultimately, I mean, honestly, we, you know, like you look at, just take Detroit and, well, take Detroit, please. Yeah. No, but like take Detroit. And <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Henny Youngman. <laughs> and for you young people, just look it up on the yes, internet. Yes, please. Go Google it, kids. But um, for FYI, I'm not that old. Neither am I. But, uh, Neither of you are. But um, 
you know, like you go, you, you know, you see Detroit. There are these three car companies. You, mm-hmm. th- they all have these towers that with all these cars. People. They make cars, and that's hard. And for forever, for the past fifty years, what's really differentiated them? Cup holders. Uh, well, couple, but all, but actually, actually, it was the in-house software. Yeah, mm-hmm. the software to decide what cars to make, to decide how to run the assembly line, to mm-hmm. decide how to allocate resources and capital. And what's happening is, and that was what differentiated them. And it turns out, like, Japan figured out how to use that kind of software to build cars more efficiently, faster design. And now what's happening is that software is becoming part of the experience of using a car, not just having a car made. And I think that's what's catching people off guard. Right. Do you think Detroit's capable of doing that? Or they have to make these deals? Well, Mark Fields at Ford was literally everywhere at CES. It was almost like he was going to have a show and serve you dinner. And by the way, here's a drink. He was... And CES has been going that way over the past well, few Ford, years. Sure, but he was particular. I was just they were everywhere. Farmers. Ford in particular has been at CES probably for six or seven years. Yeah, but years he now. was very prominent. And, but by many accounts, like GM kind of made the big news. With and, the lift. And there were some great stories about no. them. And, but all of them. And, and I think that the interesting thing is, is that it's a very deep dialogue around the true nature of disruption in an industry. Because mm-hmm. if you, you think about the, the model of building cars, you know, you start with Ford and building all the tools, building the assembly line, building it out, and having only one model. And then along, along comes General Motors and Alfred Sloan and the school of building them by vertical segment and scaling out by branding and marketing and advertising and distribution and channel, the other three Ps of product, price, place, and promotion. Right. And then the next wave was essentially pushing as much of the hard work of creating cars out to a supply chain, right. which should sound familiar to PC industry people because mm-hmm. it's very much how Dell, Dell and Ford followed mm-hmm. a very similar path. And so the question is now, what happened with Apple and the PC supply chain and how Apple went back to the first model, right. there's a high likelihood, just if you look at patterns, that the Detroit type of automaker won't be able to unwind that history fast enough and then go back and bring in the supply chain, bring it, because if you don't have the capabilities, right? Well, there was an era in the PC industry where Dell had people who like use soldering irons and wire. Mm -hmm. And like those people haven't worked at the company for a very long time in large numbers. Right. And there was an era when the people who worked in the car companies like really built all the parts. And oh, yeah. I mean, and every employee had to go through the training line, at least for a couple weeks. Even if you were a top-level right. engineer, you would go along the line. Right. And, you know, and, and, and now, put a wheel on for Exactly. Exactly. And now those companies are, you know, there's the Delphi's of the world, the Bosch's of the world, and then a whole chain. And what's even deeper than that is that their car companies are organized. Like, this is the group that buys all the parts for brakes. This is the group that buys all the parts for the consumer electronics mm-hmm. dashboard. This is the navigation. And, right. and they're organized – and then those supply chains are organized to supply them. Right. And so the disruption that has to go on in order to build like an integrated car is not just like, hey, let's get all the parts. It's you have to the whole org. Right. It's like a so car. Does that give the advantage to a Tesla or a Google? Or a, I personally think it's what makes the, the early part and then the, the, what it makes possible to build like a car like Tesla. Now, the interesting thing is it, this extends to the business side of it, too, because if you looked at the the Chevy Bolt documentary, like so much of the challenge they faced was like the dealers revolting and the challenge with the channel. It's got to be a whole new way of selling. Well, and and it's a new way of selling. It's new profit margins. It's a whole different. I mean, even um, the Saturn brand Mm -hmm. 
where they tr- even tried to make a brand out of selling it well, differently. And you know, at least we're going to move on to this, but at least they're talking the talk before, not resisting it the way Hollywood did. And uh, certainly outwardly, it's outwardly, impressive. Outwardly, be, it's impressive. But it's sort of like what you're saying, essentially, is Detroit doomed part 46 kind of thing. Do you think there's ever any concern for, I mean, obviously software is something that's always been iterative and things launch in beta and people improve upon software. It's just, it's, it's essentially the, the theme of your blog, right? Do you think there's any concern about that trickling down to hardware? I mean, I, I happen to notice now, like when I'm testing new products and I'm not testing cars, but I'm testing consumer products, we get things now that feel not ready all of the time. And I think that's a little bit of the software sort of, I don't know, mindset bleeding into the hardware. And so how do you, I mean, when it comes to something like cars, how do you protect against that? Well, this is where I might be a little bit old school in that I think that our whole industry, say for the past five years, has gotten a little carried away with velocity of change over quality of change. And I feel that there's the pendulum is swinging back. I mean, even to some oh, I degree. I like that quote, velocity of change. Say that again. Say, like say that I, I you like, like it, that I said something. I like it. I like it. But, but I think that. I'm going to tell you what I don't like in a second, but go ahead. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that, you know, if you look at the move fast, break things, mm-hmm. like there's a time when that's cool and then a time when it, it stops being cool. And, and I think that there, we're in a period where quality is something that matters and there's a lot more respect for the code. And I, I think we're actually at the tail end of like that experience where the new product, you take it out and it doesn't work. Even the weirdness of just like everything you buy – the first thing you do is get a firmware update right. and reboot it. Well, let's I mean, talk like, about that because one of the companies known for quality is Apple. Um, there's the iPad Pro, the watch, feeling a little Yeah, so I squishy. ran a Steven in the, in the neighborhood not squishy. too long ago, and you had just purchased an iPad Pro. So, What are your thoughts on that? Well, let me address like, a little oh, bit yeah, of Kara's so first. You know, I wouldn't want her question to not get no, answered. I'll get on her bad question. side. But, but, but like, I think that this year has been sort of rough on all the big companies in this regard because I think they all tried to be more agile. And yet the expectations for the quality of their products are much higher than that. And sure. so, you know, Android had rough spots and Google had rough spots and Microsoft had rough spots and Apple had rough spots. And even if you go down, the, you know, to pure enterprise play, there were rough spots across those players. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's – that it's one class are just like rough spots, firmware updates too soon, things that were a little flaky and power management and stuff. And then there's just is the product right or not right, which is a very different thing because these are now sure. – if you put aside the, the quality, then you have to go, wow, these are all new things. Are they working and getting the traction that the makers would have hoped? And, right. and that's a different sort of question. Does, does Apple still set that tone, do you think? Well, I think – I mean, because there are some products. I mean, the battery, there's a couple you're like, hmm, that well, I didn't buy this year. The, oh, the, you mean the extra battery. Extra yeah. I, sometimes the, like, the, on the accessory side, I have always felt that there were these Apple accessories that show up. And, yeah. and they're just – they're a little couple degrees from – what you would want want or expect and yeah. it's a little unclear like the for me as a producty person like what series of decisions got you here mm-hmm. right like yeah um, i would actually say that the some of the software issues well, are greater software, something yeah. like if you look at something like apple music and you say well did the wait and see approach in this instance actually make sense and does this solve any problems um, yeah. more so than maybe like an accessory but are, do they still remain the gold standard for you i i at least i mean in our for things that we would all use on a daily basis between phones and tablets and pcs it would be hard to say they're not the gold standard anyone for that. you think really stands out not Apple um, software are 
Not right now. Not a Slack or something. Oh, just in terms of just yeah. a, a general yeah. company. Oh, well, Slack is a great one. Product. And, and, you know, and I like I always hesitate to sort of name specific ones because it always sounds like I'm over mm-hmm. over pivoting. But like I have to say, like just recently, I you know, I moved my blog to Medium and I've been using it. And like just from a pure writing experience, it's incredibly pleasant. Mm-hmm. And from an interaction experience, it's really pleasing. And then from the content, like I, last night I was just mesmerized by this article about Marky Ramon. Mm-hmm. And I, I like, oh, okay, Google it, kids. Ramones, CBGB, <laughs> old, <laughs> punk rock. Um, but like I can't – I really just couldn't believe I was reading an article. I couldn't believe he could write that many words because their songs are all 90 seconds long mm-hmm. with three chords. Mm-hmm. And here I'm reading this whole history of the drummers and the Ramones sure. and it just yeah. blew me away. Yeah, it's And plus a really it was interesting such platform. a great reading experience Absolutely. where yeah. I'm seeing the highlights. Are you, are you invested in that? Are you invested in that? I, I'm not. Interested mm-hmm. Horowitz is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Did, were you forced to move there? You just wanted to use that product? No, I actually – you know, like my own experience, the maintaining the blog sure. where it was was sort of becoming harder and harder. It was just becoming difficult. Right. Like and the technology like the wasn't evolving there. how you I liked it. You didn't want to spend your time working in a CMS. We're going to um, finish up this section in a minute, but um, your top pro- – we're going to ask two more things, I think. One Let's about, talk about Windows. Yeah, we'll talk about Microsoft, I think, less. But you're t- yeah. since we're on products right now, are there any other products that you think are fantastic or not so fantastic? Well, I think right now, like, we're in this phase where, like, a lot of really interesting things are starting to get more widely used. Like, every time someone points me to some new open source project, I go over to GitHub. Mm -hmm. And at first you think, wow, this is a a big repository for for code. Isn't that boring for developers? Mm -hmm. But then you you just see, like, what goes on on GitHub and the community and the input and the, the fact that it's a repository for, like, the most important code in the world that's used by the most people. And it sort of blows me away. And I'm, I'm, I am just kind of really excited about that. At the other end, I, I will talk up a, like a personal one that, sure. that it was this week, which was a company we invested in called Everlaw. And the reason I want to talk about it is just for a second is because like who would have thought software and lawyers is that interesting? And here they are doing like SaaS software for litigation attorneys. Riveting. Steve. It's riveting. <laughs> well, and for better or worse, I No, spent, I know, I know, I know. I've spent I've some time with lawyers. lawyers. I know. And, I, and I've spent some bait time with... stamping, all that stuff. Right, all the Bates documents yeah. and everything. And like the PhD in computer science from Berkeley, what the heck's he doing doing this? Well, he consulted as an expert witness in some trials and talking to the other lawyer, yeah. realized, yeah. wow, this is a process that ripe needs to be Ripe for disruption. Fixed. And it's not just, it's like ripe for some technology. Well, you watch lawyers, you know, we covered the Ellen Patron and I was there a couple times and every all the lawyers dragging their bags of crap and I was like gosh that's a lot of paperwork yeah and it was interesting and they called out it was fascinating and I was thinking sitting in the bag well and imagine a case like the GM ignition switch like it's it's terabytes of data Mm -hmm. like it's it's like all the email from the whole company yeah. Like, and so, so what does Everlaw do? Well, it, it ingests all of that and keeps it secured and private the way that the company it, would right. want it to be with logging and records. And then it allows the hundreds of litigation attorneys to go through the documents. And basically, it's like a big, giant way to create your – The only downside I can see – because there's there's, there's the way things. they do queries, the way they look for things, the way they get all the data in the first place. How they have to phrase it. How they, what they're looking for. And then also they're building a case. And so it's like basically a way to take notes and collaborate on is this good evidence? How does it tie to this other case? And then there's a bunch of machine learning over the interesting ones, like the interesting exhibits that mm-hmm. might surface That's called hot talks. Yeah. One of the only things I can think of is if you want to data dump at people. You know, you can't do that boxes and boxes of 
that's a trick, right? You draw, I, you it actually was a long time ago. They, yeah. I think most of the courts, at least in the U.S. now, sort of require you to like be cooperative. Yeah. But yeah. you could still Lord give Trump a lot of— the most cooperative people. Around. Well, you could give a lot of volume, but at least yeah. it's you can't like say, oh, you want all the email from 1984? Here, we'll print it for you. We'll print it for you. Like, you know, certain presidential candidates might have offered Will documents. Will this help Hillary in any way or not? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's exactly for that scenario, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. It's super – but what to me was so fascinating was just like taking like what – it's basically what Salesforce did for salespeople. Mm -hmm. This does for litigators. It gives them a workbench mm -hmm. to use when, as a tool they use every day. It's like a new buyer in the whole process. Well, lastly, let's talk about Microsoft. Well, how do you think it's doing? What's its future? Monsieur right. Lasatia, how's he doing? Well, it's all – you know, it's looking like things are improving a whole bunch, and it's uh, it's really good to see. The truth is it's like one of the things that doesn't surface a lot down here. Mm -hmm. So – Was that a play on words? It wasn't, and <laughs> I didn't mean it to be. So you've become a Silicon Valley creature? I mean, how do you look at what he's done there, Sacha? Well, the way – I mean, I think it's playing out well for them and that they're focused on – How so? Well, they're they're focused on getting people to go from one way of getting Office to the Office 365 way. They're focused on one way of going from Windows Server to Azure. And those customers of those technologies really need that, that leap to happen. Like you – you can't be an effective business if what you're doing every day is trying to just keep your email servers running with hundreds of people or if you're just trying to – if you're running servers and building your apps in that old architectural way. And so you have to modernize all of that infrastructure, and that's a huge opportunity and a, and a big upside for Microsoft if they can do that. Is there any swing for the fences thing that they can do now, though? They were, doing, they were all over the place under Balmer and sort of not at the same time. I don't know. Like, I think swing for the fences, my own experiences is that that's a little hard. Mm -hmm. You and tried. I certainly feel like that. And I feel like, you know, it is a true disruptive dynamic. When you look at trying to put Windows software on an ARM-based tablet and the reaction from that core enthusiast fan base is exactly what you expect, like, the reaction to be, which is I want a better way of doing the old thing, not yeah. a new way of doing new things. Right. And, Not from Microsoft, yeah. Well, once you have that established, it's like the – and so having tried to break out of that cycle, you see the the challenge that any company would face. I mean, Oracle faces it. You know, everybody just wants a new right. release of Oracle, and they don't want to have to go to Oracle Cloud for it. And, you know, Photoshop people wanted just Photoshop. And and I, that dynamic is very, very hard. And I would what I would say is, is that the, the challenge is really if you feel like you're the biggest fan and the best customers – you know, you should think about the future for the company as much as your own personal way of doing things. Because if you support the company making big bets, that might not be exactly what you want. You might be helping them be around in a few years yeah. more than just keep doing the same thing faster, better, stronger. If you could go back to 2011, 2012 and do anything differently around Windows 8 and the introduction of Surface, would you do anything differently? I'm sure there are things to do differently probably wouldn't talk about them just yet. It's still a little fresh, and especially because even the, what they did different is still being thought of and thought through. So let's wait a little and see what how history plays out. What about mobile? Do you think Microsoft still has a chance of placing in any meaningful way in, in the mobile race? Um, I think that it's going to be interesting. I think that What's interesting is that it's settled on two winners, which itself is a unique moment in platform economics, so to speak. But that's because nothing else has been at planetary scale ever. Whether there's room for a, a third player in that, that's a legitimate player, not just one in there for the carriers to mm -hmm. tweak the other suppliers kind right. of thing, but like a genuine 
other player is is very very hard because even when I work with the companies and the startups here, like just doing the app twice on platforms that are diverging, you know, Android and iOS, you know, that's already stretched thinner than anybody wishes to do, and so it seems unlikely that you'll want to do a a third platform. And you also don't want to do bad apps on iOS and Android, so you're not going to go with some least common denominator cross-platform approach for the possibility of working on the third platform. Mm-hmm. So no, <laughs> probably very tricky. Well, yeah, it amazes me how much I talk to app, you know, consumer app developers, and I always ask, "Are you making a Windows app?" And some of them laugh and they say, "Like, no, I'm not devoting my resources to that now." And or possibly ever. And and I, I feel like it's a legitimate question just because you know it is Microsoft. Mm-hmm. But also because people that are happen to be using that mobile platform seem to really like it or like the experience of it. I mean, these are people maybe who aren't forced to use it for their work or whatever it might be. Um, but yet, yeah, I mean, the, you know, the developer problem, the struggle is real. Yeah, um, miss the mobile. And now we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, the Twitter Fail Whale, which came back this week after several years in retirement. Since 2006, the Fail Whale has been making the world more productive by taking Twitter offline. Thank you, Fail Whale. Amazon earlier this week officially launched its Dash Replenishment service. So what does that even mean? Well, basically, soon your dishwasher may be buying all of the detergent for you. Let's chat about the Amazon Dash program. So first of all, we should before we get into reader questions, we should probably talk about what Amazon Dash and Amazon Dash Replenishment yeah. are. Have you guys used this? No. I have yeah. not used it. I don't consume that much stuff. So You don't? No. Oh, oh we should all God. live a little more like that. I, I'm, I'm obsessively compulsive, like orderly clean, of course, because of that whole thing but i don't use that much stuff that it needs to be constantly i order from amazon every evening so yeah i do pretty regularly too oh i actually have to admit i do as a to shop for my own learning i make the a trek to walmart or costco every other month or so just really it's gonna be like hunting like why because I want to see. I want to like see. I need a deer to replenish research. the stock. Yeah, <laughs> replenish well, the larder. Well, for our listeners who don't know, Amazon announced two initiatives last March. One was the Dash Buttons, and the other was um, Amazon Dash Replenishment Service. The buttons are actually these. Consumers can go to Amazon.com and buy them for four ninety nine. Although they get that credited back to their accounts, and they're these little branded buttons. I have some for Clorox and Larabar and Glad bags mm-hmm. in my house, and you connect them to the Amazon mobile app and you set it up so that when you press the button, it buys something for you. And then the Dash Replenishment Service is sort of all part of that frictionless shopping plan for Amazon, but it's actually a service that is built into appliances. So you have to have a smart dishwasher or smart whatever it might be. Um, In this case, they announced printers this week with Brother and G-Mate glucose monitor, and it basically reorders the stuff for you that you need. Right. Sort of like a drug service. Like if you take a drug, it's a replenishment service. Mm-hmm. What do you think of these things? Because it's been around the idea, this has been around since the beginning of time, like the refrigerator calls the grocery store when you run it, or your eggs are bad, it tells you, it gets you new stuff. What do you, what do you think of the conceptual idea? Because it's been around. Yeah, well, of course, most every idea has been around longer right. than people think. And right. eventually a bunch of things come together in product and pricing and, and technology to make it viable. Right. Uh, I think food delivery in general is a great example of that. And and even overnight, I mean, the disruption that's happening because now overnight is not really a weird luxury exotic thing that the Federal Reserve Bank uses. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's like how you get socks. Right. You know, it's kind of odd. Uh, my view of is that um, I take a very long-term view on these things. And I think right now there's a tendency to view all of this on-demand stuff a little bit through like the rich person lens. Or the, the San Francisco lens. Right. The San Francisco lens or the do, rich do person lens. Do you know what lens. I call San Francisco? Assisted living for the young. <laughs> 
she cracks up. That's that a funny evil joke. laugh. She, I, like, <laughs> we'll take a 10 second break while yeah. Carol laughs. Come on, I joke you laugh. I laughed. Laugh. 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 But here's the deal it's like, it's easy to do things. And I literally become like that. I ordered folders last night. I could have gone down to the folder store, which I always walk by, but I was tired of going to the folder. I wanted them. At but, my house. But here's, a, here's let me do a, a very, I, I, an intentional, the folder store. Like, like, like let me do a, a folder an store. extreme, an extreme view just in a sense to make the point, because I think it, it, to me, it's a good thought experiment, which is like so much of what goes on in the economy is this very energy consuming type of distribution model where it's not just that like stuff comes on boats and then goes on trucks and trains and then gets to a warehouse that like Safeway distributes food at, but the spoilage, the time and all of that. And then there's a building that it sits in that you have to go drive to at an inconvenient time to go pick up and drive back. Hunt first. You have to wander around. You have to go up and down the aisle and then they have to have it. And then sure, if it's eggs, they'll have the eggs because that's what they get good at. But like if it's a certain size plant or a sneaker or something, it just becomes progressive. And then forget if it's a style based thing, like the awesome t-shirt you're wearing where they Mm -hmm. may or may not have it and stuff. And, And like imagine a world where Instead of all of that energy and real estate, like take gas. Gas is such a good example. I don't yet have an electric car. I'm actually waiting because I like small cars. So Mm -hmm. I have a tiny little Prius. And like every four weeks or so, I have to get gas. And like there are gas stations that take up all four corners of like the best real estate in in like downtown areas. Mm -hmm. What if that wasn't what that real estate got used for? Mm -hmm. And plus, it's being delivered to us. So, like, plus, it's on. It goes on a truck in ever decreasingly amounts, uh, decreasing right. amounts of gas. So there are quite a number. There's probably a half a dozen of on-demand gas companies, and what they do is they basically have a big truck that comes from a really big tank that drives to where you are and fills your car up with gas. Yeah. Which the first time I heard it. I literally like spit up, and I thought this is the most absurd most rich person Bay Area thing ever. Bay Area yeah. like lazy mm-hmm. thing, and then like the founder went through the cost of moving the gas around to the station, letting it sit there. The, I think like, it's a genius. Is this filled? Like, no. Well, there's there's like a half a dozen, okay. and I don't want to talk any book, but yeah. the but like as as an example, like get on it, good. Take gardening. So gardeners, the firms all have these trucks. And you know what they do? The fr- at 6 o'clock in the morning, they're all in line at Costco with company credit cards getting paid to fill up the trucks with gas. But they all aren't parked at Costco. So first they drove to Costco to buy the cheaper gas. And then they have the accounting and the hassle yeah. of dealing with all the- – what if like they're all parked in some lot some at the right place and then the truck comes by at midnight and fills them all there, up? There's a rental car company in Los Angeles like this. They bring the rental car to you, drop it off. It, and at first I was like, that sounds like a rich – and then I was like – Actually, the wasted time in rental car things that I've had and everybody's had, yeah. it, was, it made total sense in a weird way. And, and, this, and so the on-demand things, even at this trivial level, it turns out I think when you start really digging in, the resource consumption as a society actually can drop as a result of mm-hmm. you having a broad usage yeah, of no, these services. Is- and so it, that's what's super interesting. It, like when convenience goes up and the resource usage goes down. I like yeah. it. That's kind well, of super you interesting. You just made a case well, for a wandering gas truck for some reason. I don't believe it. Well, it's, I'm, I'm making one big explosion and the, the business is over. Well, but plus like, you know, you can't beat the – 
like the startup experience of like the founder showing up in an orange jumpsuit at midnight right. to fill your car with yeah, gas right. and yes. tell you about going to Stanford yeah. and you know all right and I it like was awesome. it I'm, I'm yeah. down with that one I can't believe I just said that but let's have some questions from right. Ari just go ahead Lauren Goods the first one is from I might be Vicente. mispronouncing it Vicente de Perola uh, he's asking us if we have any of the buttons or dash buttons or plan to get them or I, I suppose he could mean the connected appliances I mentioned earlier that I have a few of the buttons I ordered some stuff over the summer, but we you don't have any, right? No, I have no buttons. You know, you have to imagine, like like Stephen was saying, that this isn't just super convenient for consumers, but there are some anticipatory benefits. Like Amazon is just really obsessed with making sure that its fulfillment centers are running as efficiently as possible. Yeah. So if you have these, already you're telling Amazon if you order these buttons, these are the three yeah. brands of whatever that I reorder every three yeah. months. And so they're able to just sure. sort of anticipate more what in, what kind of inventory they need to stock, right? I do have, my, you know, my contact lenses show up on schedule. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, you right. know, because they're only good for four weeks. So. Right. Yeah. I like to mess with them. Like last night, I think I ordered literally folders, a Sharpie pen. And a Wankel rotary engine repair tool. a Sharpie (laughs) pen and a duvet cover. And I'm like, wonder what they're thinking over at Amazon. Probably nothing. Oh, I always do that. And then I say, please organize as one shipment. Oh, you know, nice. like just well to play with their heads. That. I, yeah, like, oh, let's cost Jeff, Jeff, that. Jeff more money for free. Jobs. All right, like the next one. Amazon. The next one. No, I don't plan to get them. I don't plan my life that way. Anyway, would you? You obviously don't plan to get them because you buy nothing, correct? I don't. You drive think we consume enough Prius to, car. to like yeah. really. Oh, all I right. love this. He's okay. like a ja- like your house must be like a Jay Spicer. Joe Spicer. What happens if my six-year-old presses the button thirty times for fun? This is a good question. A lot of people ask me this, or they say, "What happens if my dog steps on the button or something like that?" So it turns out there is a safety thing and a lock in place in the app, in the Amazon app, where you can set it so that once you've pressed the button once to order you some goods, um, you cannot reorder by pressing the button again until that previous order has shipped so and you can also cancel order. so, so if you, stupid if you is built that in something has been ordered mistakenly you can go in and cancel so this is order. just like the so you already tweeted that button uh, like yes. when you tweet, exactly. tweet and it that, like it's it exactly, screws up and it then it tells you you tweeted it already. I gotta say, yes. Amazon makes it pretty easy to return. It's not the hardest thing in the world. No, they do. Mm-hmm. They do. Which is I'm only gonna return the duvet or cover. Cancel. Not or mine. Cancel it's beautiful. I may invite it, you no. over to observe it. No, possibly please. not. Please. All right. How are, so, we, how are we gonna cancel the drones when the drones start dropping off all of our packages from oh, Amazon? Interesting. Shoot them <laughs> the American way. <laughs> okay, I can't condone violence. I'm sorry. So violence is a drone. Well, I guess are, are they are they sentient beings? That's another. It's machine learning. Another day, Lauren. Next question. Uh, next question from Eric Vlugd. I cannot pronounce your name. I'm Vlugd. Vlugd. Why no generic button that I can tie to any Prime product? Well, so Amazon has partners in this initiative. There are about 30 different partners it works with right now for the Dash buttons. And there were there was a report late last year that there was some type of payment exchanged for this. Amazon was paying its partners to be a part of it. Or perhaps it was the other way around. I actually don't remember, but it was an ad age. You can check it out. Um, there are some people that have had fun with these buttons, even though it is not an open API. They've taken it upon themselves to hack the buttons. And so a couple of guys did something for, like, you could press a button and have Domino's Pizza delivered. Um, someone else did something around alcohol delivery through a startup called Drizzly. Well, Steve, you've dealt with so lots of can, partners. You know, How do you? That's like managing, like... Uh, you know, my, cats, right? My, my view of it is like if you're when you're building out a platform, it's those experiments that teach you the most and it tells you so limited. It, well, this is the Apple, the iOS, Android kind of thing. The minute you try to over control a platform is the minute that you're going to stop attracting a certain class of developer. But it's a balancing act because the more your platform is sort of I'll just use the broad like hacked like that. 
the more that your end-to-end experience veers from what you anticipated. And so it's, it's sort of a little bit of a race that you have to sort of keep on your toes and decide what's good, what's bad. And you have to embrace the people and bring them into the tent and hope to direct their energy in a certain way. A consistent fight between fascism and anarchy. Sure. Thank you. <laughs> it's true, though. It's control or, or not control. Yeah. It's a really difficult thing when you're managing the platform itself. All right. At Steve, he has two good questions. I'll do the first one. That's uh, the guy Steve. who got at Steve? At Cashman. Oh, uh. Cashman 14. <laughs> no, not at Steve. No. I don't know who that is. Let's find out. We'll find out. At Steve Cashinkshi. I was always Steve Sai, so, you know. All right. How many products in your home should it be used for? I don't want a pantry full of hundreds of buttons. Well, I mean, that's a good point. You don't don't want all these little dongles lying around your countertop and stuck on your fridge. I think the buttons are actually kind of an interim solution. And I think that the DRS, the Dash Replenishment Service, that that was what the news announcement was around this week that it officially launched. I think that's more interesting because as more and more products in the home become connected, have sensors, can sense when, you know, or have scales and can figure out when things are full or when they're not. I mean, I think that's when the this type of automatic reordering is actually going to become this interesting. This alleged smart refrigerator? Yeah. Was well, Microsoft ever working on one of those? I'm sure it was at some point or yeah. something. But I, you know, one of those. I, was, I mean, I was fascinated. Like, the washing machines were super interesting at, yeah. at CES, like with yeah. the extra two dual washers and one washer and then one that you poured a whole bottle of detergent in and yeah. then you didn't have to deal with it. Like, yeah, I think that's one, the, one of the GE washers. Yeah, that's, like, that. super that helpful. Sense. Yeah. What do like, you think about the Samsung smart fridge? That one with the giant tablet. I, that's a good example of like where there's software where you don't need it, I yeah. think. That's been around for a million. Well, it all comes full circle. Well, but no, seriously, like, like that's this car dashboard. Like I've got a phone. I'm in the kitchen with my phone. Like what's the refrigerator one going to say? I saw a cooktop that had like a projector built into it and I couldn't figure out. And they're like, oh, and the recipe is right there, which – Totally lost on me, yeah. but but all I what I couldn't figure out was like what if you had to like turn the page or click because it's just a projector on the back wall of the backsplash oh, yeah. and oh it's just a projector of what of right. the computer locked in the over it was the, <laughs> right <laughs> you figured them out Steve. it was it was yeah but you don't want like it's Mark like Andreessen's face on your refrigerator screen you know telling you like leaving you a message and saying doesn't that sound amazing it's awesome awesomeness. <laughs> You know, That's what I, I want. I like that you totally found them out. You're like a tech detective. Tech detective. I was just asking questions. Steve Zanofsky. <laughs> Can't you just... see? That's a good name for a tech detective. Stop trying to make tech detective work, <laughs> tech Tara. Tech detective. Like, all right. Uh, it last sounds question. like if you say that enough times, something not good is you know going to come out. It's going to be a show. It's going to be a show on Fox next season. So, and you're going to star. Uh, last question, and then we have to finish up oh, this, this delightful is a fun session. One. What is the most embarrassing slash hilarious hypothetical item to order with Dash? I'm going to let you guys answer that, come up with something. Oh, gosh, Steve, you're first. I pretty much think that that was like the Amazon joke of like 1995 was like embarrassing things that you could have ordered by Amazon. And then they decided that everything that you bought came in a brown box. Mm, True. And so it was like, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I wanted to share here today right right now was like, you know, hygiene. Huh. I don't know, a horse. What about you? A horse. I think I already ordered the most embarrassing thing, what? which is like three boxes of kitty litter. Oh. Because I, I have a cat. You know, and Pets.com. <laughs> I, I have mis- Whatever ordered, happened to Pets.com? I, 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 I have, have misordered things, but like I, I ordered like a camera battery, which is like literally this fingernail-sized yeah. battery, and I wanted three of them for backup, and then I realized that it actually came in packs of 24. <laughs> so I actually have like 96 of these batteries or whatever right now oh, sitting at home, and I'm kind of 
I'm too embarrassed to return them. Right, too embarrassed. Even though there's not, even though there's not like a human who is going to laugh at me um, in my face, I'm just going to if I, I just have to put it in a box and send it back. Whether you like it or not, Sam Biddle wrote a whole piece about his whole year of ordering on Amazon, and it's very funny. I think he did that last year. Yeah, and he's commenting. It's super, and much of it is pointless. It says a lot about a person. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Anyway, I order nothing embarrassing. Oh, never. I'm sure. No, you just have Nelly do all the ordering <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah, I do. Cat stuff. Yeah, anyway, cat stuff. Um, that, all right. This was me, no commenting. Just no commenting. For the record. <laughs> no I comment. No, do you have a cat? I was, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. But Jeff Bezos Cats knows too. what you're doing, and Travis Kalanick knows where you're going, and Google knows. What. Everyone knows where you're eating now. Everything. Yeah. There are no secrets. It's all a data play. Yes, it's true. Data it's, is taking over the world. That's what I think, Steve. That's the next big thing. I think this data thing is going to be big. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add? On your departure, a prediction, a statement uh, of fact? I think I'm, I got out of here safely, and okay. that would be my wish is to just exit gracefully. I'm going to ask you, what would you do if you weren't like hanging around technology right now? What would be the thing you would do if you were a young personage just starting out? He is a young person. I know, but you know, just like, hey, I'm 20 years old, what would you do? Um, I have to say the thing that I, I – in all sincerity, like that I, I discovered relatively, you know, say 15 years ago that I wish I would have seen earlier – is uh, the stuff I do when I go to Africa and learn there. Yes. Um, You've written some great stuff. And I, you know, like, I wish I had even, I mean, 15 years is a lifetime, literally, in in Africa, how far it's come. I mean, the first time I was there, there was, like, the same village would have no water, nothing, and now they're all chatting on their phones and texting. But I wish I would have had the context of, say, you know, way even earlier than that, when it was, like, you couldn't even go to the country when you had to be, like, one of those Nat Geo people that sneak in over the Sierra Leone border or something to get to one of these places. I wish I would have had that context of Africa so when I go, I know that much more and I can relate that much more. Sure. I mean, I was reading this morning about, you know, about uh, Facebook's program and this really interesting Wired article about it and this incredible Twitter debate about what's going on. About And the truth is, is that, like, it's transforming the continent and mm-hmm. like connectivity in a way that it just blows. When I considered that when we first started going, it was literally just to help figure out big solutions to, you know, having a roof. Wow. And That's... now it's, it's like people arguing over the way they get on the internet. Uh, like seriously, get some context. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Well, that is a very deep thing. I was going to say, I was good. I had gone back in time and given Snapchat guy a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, well, him $100,000? Good thing. Well, I, you would have you know, invested in it? I, I, I just tried to inject a little bit of You were serious. No, no. Let me just and then say, it got right back I to Kara. To, Go no, figure. Stop, like, right stop. back to me no, and how I no, benefit from no, all of this. No, no. Here's the thing. You did nice. Well Wait, done, listen. Steve Stanowski. You're correct. <laughs> Here's the thing. You have written some beautiful pieces about Africa on our site, which I would urge people to go to because they're fantastic as he travels across the area. And Thank that you. is a very, you're right. That transforming that continent is very important. I was at a speech last night about fragile countries and oh. most of them are in Africa continue to be yes anyway thank you so much thank and you, Steve. Thank, thank you Steve you and uh, please come back anytime and give us your huge wisdom thank you very much Lauren this has been fun and I'm always glad when Steven Sinosmi puts me in my place yeah we're very grateful to Steve for joining us and also to our listeners and our readers for writing in and sending us their questions that Absolutely. they weren't too embarrassed to ask right if you enjoyed this episode as much as we did be sure to subscribe to the show be the first to listen to new episodes every Friday or catch up on previous episodes where we answer all of the tech questions that our listeners have been too embarrassed to ask all on recode.net slash too embarrassed to ask also don't forget to tweet your questions ahead of time to at Recode with the hashtag AskRecode. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Friday with another episode of Too Embarrassed to Ask. Tune in then.